This is Here in Alabama. I'm Beth McGinnis. My guest is Dr. Brian Balunas. He's the clarinet professor at Samford University, where I teach, and he also directs the Samford Orchestra. Dr. Balunas is a fabulous clarinet player. He can do just about everything that anyone can do on the clarinet. But we're really here today to talk about the Magic City Clarinet Festival. But first, I wanted to hear a little bit about Dr. Valunas's background. Well, I think the earliest musical memory I have is of my dad playing the snare drum. He was a snare drummer in Drum and Bugle Corps, uh, but he didn't know how to read music, which for anybody who has seen or heard Drum and Bugle Corps, it's kind of amazing that you could listen to uh, people playing the snare drum and figure out the sticking and everything just from his ear. Uh, he was actually incredible. He was the only person ever to win the All-Navy uh, Talent Contest two years in a row, which is a, a pretty big deal for uh, the entire Navy, and he did it on the snare drum. So that that's one of my earliest mem- memories of anything musical in my family. For me playing the clarinet, I really wanted to play the saxophone or the trombone, but my grandpa said that he had a clarinet under his bed, and that's what I was going to play. So that's how it started, and... Uh, I'm originally from Wisconsin, so uh, we started clarinet in fifth grade, and I was pretty serious right away. I remember at one point my mom telling me, uh, I didn't hear you practicing at all over Christmas break, and that was just something I didn't want to hear again. So from then on, I was just practicing all the time. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do as I got uh, further along into high school. You know, I was a pretty smart kid, and I was getting good grades, and but I kept on getting pulled towards music. There was a, a number of events where uh, I would win a competition, a high school competition, or I would do the high school All-State and finish uh, first chair for uh, three years in a row in Wisconsin, which was a pretty big deal. And so I decided, uh, okay, I'm going to go into music. And that's when it started. That is a great story. So did you actually play the clarinet that was under your grandpa's bed? Is that the instrument? That's the instrument. I I still have it. And um, and that's actually something that's going to be interesting about... um, our clarinet festivals. We're going to have a bunch of really great clarinet vendors. And looking back, I wish I would have started on something a little bit better because it, it does it does make a big difference the instrument that you have. So the vendors will be um, showing different clarinets at the festival. Will they also will they look at the instruments that people have and do any repairs or anything like that, or it will be more like a showcase? Oh, it's an opportunity for everybody to try an instrument, so everybody should be bringing mouthpieces and reeds so that they can try them. Last year, I think we had uh, around 50 clarinets on display, so and, and all of them are welcome to try. We also had um, a number of different um, repair technicians, and some people were offering repairs right on site, and other people were willing to take clarinets uh, and work on them and then ship them back or bring them back to you, so that was that was nice, and, and we had a wide range of uh, instruments, some that were, you know, just directly from the factory, some that were optimized or customized for various players, and then we had um, a number of brands that you can't really find uh, even in our local music stores that uh, try to compete more on price while still having really high quality. You mentioned customizing instruments to various players. How is that done, and what would be the purpose of that? Well, it's uh, it's surprising because most people don't realize it, but when you buy an instrument, um, when, even if you buy a really high-quality instrument, a lot of times um, it is not in peak working condition. And the reason for that is um, it's shipped usually from France um, or from Japan to the United States. And in the shipping process, sometimes there are some problems. And also, uh, we're dealing with real wood, so 
uh, it kind of settles or it might open up a little bit or uh, you might have some pads that don't really fit exactly on the instrument anymore. So what a lot of people will do is uh, essentially rebuild the instrument um, more in the climate that we're going to be in. Uh, and then at the same time, you can adjust uh, just about everything else on a, on a really high-quality instrument. You can adjust, for instance, the key heights or the spring tension so that you can feel like you're playing something that is just, um, it's like a wonderful feeling as a clarinet player. Yeah, yeah. What is your favorite clarinet to play? Okay, I play the Buffet R13 Green Line clarinet. And um, the reason I play that one is because I've cracked almost every clarinet I've ever owned. And that gets to be a little bit expensive after a while, having those cracks repaired. And the Green Line was designed uh, with two purposes in mind. One, to be a little bit more environmentally friendly. And the other one was to eliminate cracking. And so what it is made of is kind of like all the dust and shavings um, from making clarinets gets put together with a resin and some, uh, uh, some different fibers and, and made into a new clarinet. And it's a little bit heavier than a traditional clarinet, but they're supposed to not crack. That is fascinating. So it sounds like it's a, like a composite material that's used in construction. I know that there are some construction materials that are made very similarly with sawdust and residue put together with an adhesive is it similar it's funny that you mentioned construction because um you have to use the same um sanding tools that you would use on concrete to sand the clarinet really yes so it's a it's a little bit um in some ways it's a little bit better because it doesn't adjust as much if you go from one climate to the other for instance um i usually play concerts every year in arizona and i come from alabama and the climate is totally different uh, but the clarinet doesn't really change as much as it might if it was a, a all wood instrument mm-hmm. right and an all wood instrument would would contract and expand based on the humidity and the temperature exactly is that what you're talking about yep. and that's how the cracking happens? That's how the cracking can happen. The the, the temperature change, uh, because you, what, what happens is you have a different temperature on the inside of the instrument and the outside of the instrument, and a, as the wood uh, tries to change real fast on one side or the other, uh, a crack will form. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, usually uh, they start out very superficially, and if you take care of them right away with maybe super glue, uh, they might never actually go all the way through the instrument and and then that's just cosmetic. And even if they go all the way through the instrument, usually you can fix it to the point that um, unless you're looking with a magnifying glass, you might not be able to detect it. Wow. So if you fixed a crack with superglue, would that affect the sound of the clarinet? Uh, not so much. You'd be surprised. I mean, the, sometimes uh, if, if there's any sort of leak through the crack, then there would be a problem with the intonation. But if you um, superglue it effectively, uh, sometimes that, that's all the fix that is needed. Wow. And you also said that the clarinet you play using this composite material is more environmentally friendly. How does that work? Well, you know, the um, uh, clarinets are, are made out of African hardwood, and it usually takes about 100 years for the tree to uh, reach maturity and the level to uh, be a good clarinet. And, and so um, you really don't want to waste any of that wood. Uh, and the green line uses all the remnants, all the leftovers. That's wonderful. I have bought T-shirts from a company that does something similar, where they're recycling old clothing and um, reweaving, re- repurposing it um, so that it's made from waste. Um, so it sounds very similar, but much more sophisticated <laughs> of a process, probably for the clarinet. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, we sort of went into the middle of the conversation, but this is fascinating talking about clarinets. But tell me, um, let's back up and tell me about the Clarinet Festival, the Magic City Clarinet Festival, right? And how that got started and what it entails. Well, this is the second annual Magic City Clarinet Festival, and our first one was last August. And uh, the story behind the first one was the Clarinet Fest had been canceled. Usually there's an International Clarinet Association Festival held every summer. But because of COVID, it had been canceled two times, and it seemed like our numbers were dropping. Remember, uh, last August was the time right before the Delta variant kind of kicked in. And um, it just seemed like an opportunity to do something special. And it was amazing to see the response of um, performers, vendors. I mean, everybody wanted to do something because it had been so long since we had done anything. So uh, that, that was the first event. And then we, we learned a lot in the first event. And so we decided, well, we want to do it again. Um, and among other things, we wanted to try a different location. Our first year was at the Birmingham Art Museum, which was wonderful. But then we wanted to kind of go... A, a little bit in a different place. And so now we're in University of Montevallo and they have a brand new performing arts center. And I think it's going to be um, spectacular because that building itself is spectacular. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And what kind of performers? You said you're going to have 12 to 14 performers? Yeah, I think we're going to settle in on around 13 performers. Uh, they're going to be um, college professors from Alabama or Georgia or Tennessee and also some local uh, outstanding musicians. Uh, there's going to be a jazz improvisation class. Um, there's going to be a class on how to select an instrument, just like we were talking about earlier. Mm. Uh, there's going to be a class on how to become a music business professional. For instance, if you wanted to own your own repair shop or if you wanted to get, it, get started in repair or even own your own uh, music store. Um, in, in addition to that, there will be a wide variety of master classes. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I've, I've noticed um, in Alabama, if you say master class, not everybody understands exactly what to expect. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you, you, most of the time what you would expect is that there would be somebody who's a master giving a class. But in the music world, we kind of expect that there would be somebody involved in the class uh, as a participant, like in this case, performing the clarinet. So maybe somebody would play like one of the Allstate etudes, or maybe they would play some other thing that they're working on, and then the expert would be coaching them. And so that's one of the other highlights about the festival is that we need at least 12 or 13 volunteers um, for these classes. So uh, as people are registering for the event, there's an opportunity for them to check a box saying, I want to participate in the master class. And it's uh, essentially on a first come, first serve basis. So they mm -hmm. should sign up early. So if you are a high school clarinet player and you're practicing the etudes that you have to play to audition for all state band or orchestra, then you could get some coaching on those etudes in these master classes if you signed up. Exactly. Or, or on, uh, right, like right now, we're coming close to the All-State Solo Festival, so that would be another opportunity. Or there might be an audition happening in the fall, or people might be looking forward to college auditions, or they just want to get better. They just have some questions about what does it mean to be a good clarinet player. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah, that sounds like a great opportunity for mm -hmm. people. Yeah, is, so are those the kinds of people that you expect to come to the festival? Uh, high school clarinet players, college clarinet players, professionals? Well, the festival is really a great opportunity for everybody of all ages. Um, 
I don't remember exactly what our youngest player was last year, but I know we had a number of middle schoolers, and we did have somebody who was in her 80s attend the festival and perform in the master class. Wow. So that was, that was kind of special. Um, this year we're doing something new, too, which is to have a competition. And so we're going to have three levels of competition available. One will be for middle school, one will be for high school, and one will be everything beyond high school. And um, the great part about the competition is uh, it it's the same price as if you were just coming to the festival. So if you're coming to the festival, you might want to just compete in the competition anyway, throw your hat in the ring. Who knows, you might end up winning $500. Oh, wow. That sounds like a great incentive. So <laughs> that's good. Yep. Sounds like, yeah, sounds like a good idea. And um, so the same price as coming to the festival. You can just enroll in the competition if you've already paid the fee for the festival. Exactly. But that, again, is on kind of a first-come, first-served basis. Um, obviously, the festival has to all be done in one day. And so the judging and everything has to take place in the same day. If you decide to be in the competition, uh, an another box will... Um, you'll have to check another box on the entry, and you'll get an email from me asking about your piece. I would recommend that we keep it to around five minutes in length, and we will have a pianist available, and I do think um, it's likely that people will score higher if they take advantage of playing a piece that includes piano. Mm -hmm. What if they're nervous about playing with a pianist they've never met before? What would you say? Oh, I think that's common. I think a lot of people are, are, you know, they don't know what to expect, or I've never played with that pianist, or I've never even heard this before. Well, um, one, one thing that you could consider is um, trying to find a pianist in advance. That might alleviate some things. But the other thing is that um, the pianists who will be at the festival are, are some excellent pianists. I've known them for a very long time, and they're very familiar with the clarinet repertoire, so they're going to be able to follow any, anything that anybody does. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, that's reassuring. What if people are just nervous in general about playing for the master class or um, uh, just coming to the festival um, in general? What if? What would you say to these people? Well, that's also common, right? Uh, a lot of times just performing in front of anybody is going to create a lot of nerves. Um, and if, if uh, performing music or public speaking or anything like that is in your future, uh, I would say you want to get as much practice at that as you can. And this is kind of a low-stakes environment. Uh, all the teachers are professional teachers. Most of them are going to be college instructors. And so uh, they're going to have ideas on how to handle nerves. But just having that experience uh, eventually will make it kind of a little bit less the next time you have to do it. Mm, I, I know that to be true myself as a performer. That's, that's very true. Thank you for that. You mentioned one of your performers last year uh, was in her 80s, and that that just sounds really exciting. It makes me wonder what are the um, what happens as you age as a clarinet player. Are there things that become different about your embouchure or the way that your hands work or your breath support? Um, how does that affect? How does aging affect your playing? That's a really great question. Uh, I notice it myself, you know, in, in the types of music I want to play or the types of music that I'm interested in, um, I notice uh, a lot more about how to listen better. I feel like as I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm much more interested in listening and, and having exactly the right sound, whereas usually people who are at a younger level, they want to play faster and faster, you know, and I feel like in the clarinet world, um, 
you'll have high school people play faster and faster and faster, and then they get to college, and then uh, they start thinking a little bit more about maybe I've played everything that I can uh, as fast as I can go. And so then what's next? And I think that's another interesting aspect of uh, kind of maturing a little bit more. You kind of start to wonder, what am I going to do with the clarinet? Or how am I going to uh, really succeed? What is my own definition of success? And, and what do I want to ultimately do? Yeah, that that's a great answer. And I really appreciate it because it's been on my mind um, as a performer myself. I've been giving some recitals as a pianist with a cellist and a violinist. And you were kind to attend one of those this week. Um, we just gave a performance at Miles College yesterday. And um, we were thinking about that very thing. I was thinking about, they were asking how long we practice a day and, you know, what our routine is. And I've realized I don't practice as much in terms of hours as I did when I was in college or graduate school. Um, and I think that's, it's partly because of other commitments, but it's also partly because of the way that my body works now um, at the age I am now. And I've got some tendonitis, and, you know, it's probably not healthful for me to keep going for hours and hours and hours, but I do notice that I listen better and differently mm -hmm. than I did then. And I'm kind of on a, on a kick myself right now these days about thinking about uh, emotional intelligence, and I've been listening to Daniel Goleman a lot lately. Hmm. Uh, he's an author, and he wrote a book called Focus. And right now, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are um, – in what he calls um, the myth of, I just can't remember the author's name, who, who said you have, oh, Malcolm Gladwell, who okay. said you have to practice for 10,000 hours in order to become a master. Right. And Daniel Goleman says that, you know, if you can achieve uh, a flow state where, where everything is kind of happening and you're just enjoying it, where you kind of lose track of time, you might actually um, make connections in your brain five times faster uh, than a normal average person. And just imagine that. That would mean that you could work on Monday and you'd get as much done as you did for the rest of the week. That's incredible. Um, and I've also noticed uh, some other people doing some research on practicing and how many times does it take for something to become a habit. There was some people saying it took 21 days, and now some people are saying it takes about 62 repetitions. Hmm. And so that, that's, that's kind of one of my new goals with my students, to try to outline a plan to achieve 62 repetitions in a reasonable amount of time because a lot of times um, people who are in high school, they'll say, well, I'll, I'll play through that piece once a day or twice a day. And then, then they start thinking, well, that's why it takes me maybe two months to learn it. You know, so. so 62 repetitions, you could, um, you, you could do that in one day, but you could easily do it in three days. Yes, or, or a week. You know, if, you, if, you, if you plan on doing a, one little passage 10 times a day for a week. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that, that sounds really doable. Yeah. Yeah. I think about flow myself, and um, I think as musicians we do experience that. We experience that flow state when we're practicing, and one of the things, I mean, it benefits us as musicians, but it also benefits us as humans. It seems that I've read studies about um, people being happier who are able to achieve that flow state to lose track of time when you're so absorbed in what you're doing. That's so true. And, and that, that's something that we've been practicing um, in the Sanford Orchestra here. We have a concert coming up in a couple of weeks. We're playing Beethoven's Third Symphony, which is just an incredibly long piece. And so trying to figure out how can we focus on that much music for over that period of time and what happens if we lose focus? How can we practice? Um, how can we train our brain to have better attention? And even if we lose it for a second, how can we get back to it? 
Well, that is such a great thing to be working with the Sanford students on. Um, so Beethoven's Third Symphony, it is a long piece, and people know the Fifth Symphony probably, and that is that tends to be economical and concise, but the Third Symphony, um, there's so much packed into that. Tell us about the Beethoven's Third Symphony. It's an incredible piece. Uh, it, we're going to perform it on March 29th. Usually I pick the um, repertoire out a year in advance, and uh, what's kind of interesting about this concert is we're doing two pieces by Shostakovich and Beethoven's Third Symphony. And with everything that's happening in the world right now, it just seems like uh, crazy how, how that worked out to be yeah. like that. Um, we're probably going to end up doing only the first and second and fourth movements of the Third Symphony just because it is so long. Um, but it, it, it's just so powerful, and there are so many so many ways of interpreting the piece and so many different things that are happening and, and it's all in the music. It's not necessarily marked out by Beethoven. You've got to kind of do a little bit of interpretation. So it's mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Mm, yeah. So yeah, crazy things happening in the world right now. And you mentioned Shostakovich and people may not know if they're listening, they may not know also that Beethoven's third symphony has some connections to uh, despotic rulers or <laughs> leaders um, yeah, so. Exactly. I mean, that, that, that's why it's just an unbelievable coincidence. Um, you know, he originally dedicated it to Napoleon and then found out that he was not going to uh, agree with his leadership style anymore. And so he famously kind of crossed off the word Napoleon. And instead, now it's kind of dedicated to a random hero. So I'm not sure if everybody's going to have a chance to hear the podcast before the concert. But if you're coming to the concert on March 29th, we're asking everybody to wear blue and yellow so we can have a fantastic picture in support of Ukraine. Wonderful. Well, then I, I just had a new goal uh, on my to-do list to get the <laughs> podcast out before the orchestra concert on March 29th. So what's today, the 17th? Um, 12 days. I might be able to do that. Okay. Um, or earlier <laughs> earlier than, um, than that. So we'll, we'll put that on the to-do list and awesome. see if we can get that done. Yeah. Um, well, skipping back to something that you said earlier, you said there in the clarinet festival there's going to be a class in jazz improvisation. Mm -hmm. Do you do jazz improvisation yourself? Well, not something that I regularly do, but uh, we have an outstanding jazz musician and teacher in town named Michael Sedeckney, and he's actually a Sanford grad who has come back and is just, he's got ideas and a method for jazz improvisation unlike anything I've ever seen, and he kind of worked with me for maybe 20 minutes one day, and now I feel like... Um, I was making up things that I had never even dreamed of. Oh, wow. It's incredible. So that, that would be a class that I would really put on everybody's list uh, at the Clarinet Festival. For sure. Mm -hmm. That is something that um, I, that is an area that I continually want to learn more um, in. And I think that sometimes we, at least people of our generation and older, and I'm, I'm, it's maybe unfairly putting you in my generation, I'm older than you. But, um, <laughs> but I think people in a certain generation maybe start out um, in one area. I started out classical, music reading, not playing anything by ear, and I feel like I can really read pretty much anything, but playing by ear has always been a challenge, and it's something that I have to work on. And I think sometimes people have, a, have an assumption that you either have a talent for that, a talent for improvisation, or you don't. But is it something you can learn? Oh, it's something you can learn totally. And I think Michael, is a, he would agree that uh, if you looked at him a decade ago and what he is today, it, he's a totally different performer, a totally different player, totally different listener. I think it, a lot of it does go back to listening. 
Now, his method essentially, um, it does require a certain level of classical skill because you have to know your scales really well. And then he kind of pushes you into different areas that you might not normally do as a classical musician. So for instance, uh, instead of doing a scale in thirds, what if you just did an arpeggio in thirds that kept on going up and up and, and then coming back down, for instance, and, and then finding a way to maybe do that, but um, you know, start on the next scale degree and then keep on going up and, and see what that sounds like and go back and forth. And before you know it, um, you're actually sounding like an improviser. It's, it's amazing. That is so exciting. To me, that would be one of the main reasons to attend the Clarinet Festival, to take that class in jazz improvisation. Mm -hmm. and, and Michael being local, um, he does teach lessons in town, and that would be like that. That's one of the other goals of the Clarinet Festival. Um, a lot of times, if you go to a clarinet event, uh, it's centered around one university, and it's, it's an opportunity for them to have you come on campus and do some recruiting. Uh, this event actually is trying to bring as many clarinetists as possible, and it happens to be at the University of Montevallo, but we could have held it other places as well. Uh, but we're trying to get many people there. So all the different clarinet professors from Alabama will be there, and some from Tennessee, and some from Georgia. And so I'd encourage everybody to, if you hear a great performance or you see a great class, go up to that person, introduce yourself, talk to them for a little while. They'd love to get to know you. Um, and, and who knows, maybe you might end up going to college there. Oh, yeah. So this can be a networking, a community-building, connection-building kind of event. Yes, this is this is really a great networking event, especially when you consider the other vendors that will be there. Or if you're a band director and you want your students to try out new equipment, or uh, if you feel like they, they need to get to the music store, uh, the music store is coming to them in this case. So mm, Yeah. So you said um, signing up for things like the master class or the competition, that's first come, first served. Is there a deadline for registering? Uh, there is a deadline. Um, I don't know if I remember it off the top of my head. I think it's probably the first week of May. Uh, we need to have enough time to make sure we get an order for everybody and have enough pianists on hand. Um, so I, I do think everybody should register right now. If you think about five minutes per entrant, that's around 80 people who could be in the competition, which sounds like a pretty large number, but um, I think that'll go pretty fast. Yeah, sounds like it. So where do I go to sign up? You go to bham, B-H-A-M, musicclub.org. That will take you to the Birmingham Music Club website. And right at the top it says, buy tickets here for the second annual Magic City Clarinet Festival. And then that will take you to an area where you can fill out a form, asks you for your name and your email address, and if you're going to be in the competition, and if you're going to be in the master class, and if you have any trouble at all, you could just send me an email. And my email is b v i l i u n a at samford.edu. Perfect. Great. So if you are a clarinet player and you're um, able to come on May 14th to Montevallo to the Magic City Clarinet Festival, sign up now. Sign up for the master class. Sign up for the competition. Um, just know that everybody's probably nervous, and so you're all in the same boat, and you're going to get some fantastic feedback and instruction and get to know some really fascinating people and hear some great music if you do that. It'll be a really rewarding experience for you. And um, come to Stanford to hear the Stanford University Orchestra play Beethoven's Third Symphony and some music by Shostakovich as well and wear your yellow and blue on March 29th at 7.30 p.m. in Brock Hall, correct? Right Center. 
Brock Hall. Uh, Brock Recital Hall. Yeah. Brock Recital Hall mm-hmm. at Samford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Well, Dr. Volunis, is there anything else that I need to know about the Clarinet Festival? I think we covered it all. Just make sure you bring your clarinet. Oh, bring your clarinet. Right. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yep. That's, yeah. Not easy to forget, probably, but probably needs to be said. It, it does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. And I look forward to the orchestra concert, and I really hope the Clarinet Festival goes great this year. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.